0: Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Dirty Drinks. How are you today, Rick?
1: I am wonderful. How about you, Sarah?
0: I am great you know the weather is great it's summertime now I think I am ready to go to the pool
1: yeah we kind of skipped spring I think it's uh can't decide honestly it seems like I don't know I saw one day this weekend it's going to be like 50 degrees so I don't know what's going on
0: oh I think mother nature needs to take a nap
1: yeah I mean maybe she's got COVID
0: maybe that's a good thought
1: I don't know what's going on. It's really, really, really been an odd, odd year. And, and the wind. What's up with the wind? I don't, I don't get it. It's. I don't remember it ever being this windy.
0: I think it's windy everywhere. Like they've been fighting it everywhere. So, just. I don't
1: know. I don't odd. know. Well, what are we talking about today?
0: So today we have. I'm going to call this a super special episode, not just a special episode. Wow. Um, Now you got me very
1: excited, you got me very excited. excited. We have a cat sighting already.
0: Oh yeah. The cat usually
1: isn't here until a little bit later.
0: (laughs) She's always in my face. Um, So today we are going to talk a little bit about the Nebraska ISAP and ASAP program. So I know we've mentioned those programs a lot before on the show but we really wanted to um, kind of dig in and look at what those programs are all about, how they got started, um, maybe what is in the future for them. And in order to do that, we have on a whole panel of amazing guests today. So um, I'm just going to kind of go around and have everyone introduce themselves really quickly. Uh, Dr. Salman Ashraf.
2: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Rick, uh, for uh, um, uh, letting me kind of join the panel. Um, I am Mohammed Salman Ashraf. Uh, um, I'm an associate professor at UNMC and uh, um, I'm also our um, state healthcare system infection and antimicrobial resistance uh, program director, uh, basically, medical director for that program. So, um, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, before this position at the State Health Department. Um, I was the medical director for Nebraska ICAP and the co-medical director for Nebraska ASAP. And I'm still um, kind of, uh, yeah, you know, doing doing two jobs this, at this time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: don't
2: while know. While we while, what while you we say... are looking while we are looking for a, a new medical director for ICAP.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know when you sleep, Dr. Ashraf. It's...
1: We can give him another title if we want. I mean, he, he seems to be collecting them.
0: <laughs> How many different hats can you wear? <laughs> uh,
2: I think I, I, I don't have any space left for
1: another hat, so I'm good. Okay. The two o'clock emails will start coming at four o'clock now that he's got another <laughs> job.
0: Yes, yes. Well, thanks so much for being here, Dr. Ashraf. Thank um, you. Next on our panel, we have Dr. Trevor Van Schoonefeld.
3: Hi, thanks for having me on. I am also an associate professor of infectious disease at UNMC, and uh, I'm the co-medical director of the ASAP program. And I help out a little bit in the ICAP program uh, when everyone else is not able to fill. I fill in the gaps.
0: We appreciate you for that very much. Um, next on my screen is Dr. Andrew Watkins.
4: Hey, Sarah. It's great to be on again. I'm Andrew Watkins. I'm an infectious disease pharmacist at Nebraska Medicine, uh, focusing chiefly on antimicrobial stewardship outreach, and I serve as the pharmacy coordinator for Nebraska ASAP. So Glad to be here.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Andrew, for joining us. And then last, but
5: certainly not least, is the lovely Kate Kiner. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me here again. I appreciate being here. I was just going to add, yeah, the cat's out of the bag that we want somebody to come and work with us. Um, and I would say like the weather has been crazy, but since we want somebody to come move to Nebraska and live with us, I'm going to put in a plug that the weather is always changing. You get to enjoy all four seasons, sometimes all within one week. So it's an exciting place to live that way. Sometimes I think in the same in one day,
1: day. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you don't like the weather, just you know, wait 15 minutes and it'll change. Mm-hmm
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: so we need somebody to take one of Dr. Ashraf's titles essentially right
5: that's what we're trying to do yeah
2: maybe a couple of them
5: (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you
1: all Yeah, great, thank you all for joining us. Every one of you has been on the show before, so the the names and voices are probably familiar to uh, some of our listeners, but um, um, we thought we'd get everybody on because everybody kind of touches on a different aspect of what ICAP and ASAP are and do, um, and have, uh, as this has grown, they've kind of been here for much of this. So um, to start off, what can uh, maybe Dr. Ashraf, since he's the the lead on this whole deal, can tell us a little bit about what is ICAP, why is there an ICAP, why is it unique, what does it do for the state and everything else to kind of get the ball rolling?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'll start, but I will probably, um, you know, um, uh, um, ask Kate to kind of chime in on a little bit of a history um, uh, of ICAP because you know it probably was the first person to join ICAP, uh, um, and I, I was uh, kind of followed up uh, a few months later. So, uh, so, so ICAP is uh, um, a partnership between the state health department. Um, University of Nebraska Medical Center and uh, our teaching hospital, Nebraska Medicine. So it's a collaborative partnership that was put in place uh, um, uh, to um, uh, assist um, Nebraska healthcare facilities, uh, um, no matter which kind of healthcare facilities, all healthcare facilities included, acute care, long-term care, critical access hospital, dialysis center, dental clinics, ambulatory surgical centers, anything you can think of, um, uh, to assist them in um, strengthening their infection control program. So we provide assessment, and then um, you know, kind of help them uh, uh, identify areas of op- opportunities and then help them kind of uh, g- fill uh, the gaps there or, or mitigate their identified gaps uh, in other words. Um, it, so that's why it's called infection control assessment and promotion program. Now we did uh, started with uh, infection control assessments and you know kind of giving them recommendation on on how to improve that but I think our role has evolved a lot. Uh, uh, you know, that's one of the responsibilities that we carry now uh, but uh, we, we do a lot of other things uh, um, uh, like outbreak uh, uh, management, uh, uh, educational um, uh, responsibilities uh, uh, throughout the state uh, um, you know, and even now uh, more recently some uh, working into the school um, uh, school health also in, in school infection control also. So, so there's probably so many things to talk about as we go along, but I think as an introduction, this is what the Infection Control assessment, and Promotion Program is. Um, uh, Kate, do you want to go into a little bit of a um, kind of history of how this this collaboration came into being?
5: Yeah, I think that's a a great place to weigh in, Dr. Ashraf. Thanks. So when I joined the team in 2015, it was after the last pandemic we all survived, uh, Ebola. Um, Certainly touched us all a little differently. Um, but CDC at that time was acutely aware that there were infection control gaps across all parts of the healthcare spectrum so the funding opportunity actually had to do with the assessments only at that time we were looking at Ebola readiness and general infection control and over time I think that's one of the neatest things about our program is we really got to grow into what we wanted to do and what we're good at doing um, and Margaret Drake and I have been the infection preventionists who do that that we said, you know, if, if our job is to go and assess, then we certainly want to go into a facility in the spirit of helping out. You know, what's, that's the way that we're gonna be able to like kind of make ourselves useful and make friends with infection prevention programs across the state. And so I think like it really grew out of a lot of love of, you know, what does infection control look like and how can we help? And from there, we've spun off all these different programs with, you know, what do we have expertise in? What can we add to people? And I think, unfortunately, in a lot of parts of the country, people are used to interacting with public health in a very punitive way. Of We only see public health in the arm of licensure, and we want to avoid working with them. But in Nebraska, we've really grown into this spirit of, hey, we have this team of people who's here to support you and your program when you have issues that kind of exceed your skill level or exceed your experience. We're here to help you. It doesn't cost you um, for small problems, big problems. And in a lot of ways, like we've been successful staying under the radar a little bit, right? We've worked on lots of outbreaks and been able to like assist them, um, but also had some really public facing programs like mentorship in, you know, showing what some of the gaps are in these environments so that other teams can begin to kind of crunch down on like, why do we have these gaps in healthcare? And what can other teams like... um, leading age and the healthcare association, how can they help us solve some of these problems? So it's been a really satisfying place to build on what does our team think is important and how do we think we can help? I think that's been one of the nicest parts of what we've done.
0: Thanks, Kate. So um, Nebraska ICAP started in 2015, Um, how, Far along after that did nebraska asap start or was it a, a joint start
3: uh, it wasn't a joint start do you remember when we started? i want to say it was like two years later i think
5: about um, a the, year
2: about a year, year? Uh, yeah, right because remember
5: the first summit we did and was in 2017 mm-hmm. and so dr ashraf joined us um, in the year 2016 we were recruiting for him in like december in january of 15 and then once Dr. Ashraf came on board, um, we were really building up the grant uh, to write so that we could get uh, an antimicrobial stewardship resistance program in place. And then once he was onboarded, we were able to start interviewing, I think, for our first pharmacist.
3: Yeah, I think we wrote it kind of right as uh, Dr. Ashraf got here. Uh, And it was the same idea that the CDC recognized that, uh, you know, we can do a lot of good with infection control, but one of the things really driving antimicrobial resistance is antimicrobial use. And uh, the resources for improving uh, antimicrobial stewardship, they really wanted, I think, uh, to put some resources into helping support antimicrobial stewardship and so in that initial period, they supported a number of facilities in the state with NHSN reporting of antibiotic use. That was part of their initial uh, uh, program, and then really developing some initial infrastructure to support uh, stewardship um, development throughout the state. And so we basically developed a program, modeled a bit after the the ICAP program, where we offered uh, you know the opportunity to have assessments and input uh, for both hospital and long-term care stewardship programs. Because one of the things that we really understood working in a state where it's mostly rural, um, and there are, uh, I think, two to three infectious disease doctors west of Lincoln, um, depending on what year it is, that there really needed to be some uh, expertise that was available to these smaller facilities these more rural facilities uh, where they have one pharmacist and a couple of family practice doctors. And so the CDC was interested in providing support to develop a program to do that. And so that's where we did hire our first pharmacist, Phil Chung, who worked with us for a number of years. um, And we really built some of those resources for those facilities.
1: So one question I have about the start of this is that obviously it was a new program and you guys are coming in kind of under a public health thing and you're going, trying to help facilities that maybe, you know, maybe they're not sure what they're gonna get out of the program. And are, are, you know, is there some, are you reporting some of this stuff to somebody and those kinds of questions. So how was it received then? And how have you guys approached to say, hey, we're really just here to help. Um, And how has that now changed in the last six, seven years?
5: That's a good question, Dr. Starlin. So early on, you're absolutely right. People were hyper aware of that to the point that in some situations, we only got into facilities by having a letter of agreement with them on paper about who was going to get the results. And so it was very important to facilities that they would understand, yes, we reported the data, but it was only an aggregate form and it was not associated with their facility name or any kind of site identifiers. And so we also were very cautious of if we see something wrong, what's the reporting chain, you know, and that that's something people asked us many times before we got into facilities. The idea was our job is to report to you and you will fix the problem, right? Like it's essentially voluntary. If we see something really concerning, we report it to you. You're concerned enough. You fix it. I let my boss know we saw it. It got fixed or they have every intention of fixing it. And so, those are the kind of things people wanted to know, and then after that, it was very much, um, you know, trial by fire. It was just trip after trip in kind of showing um, our worth and um, that we could have those kind of private conversations and keep them such. Um, and then to the point of when we created some of the first uh, poster publications that people could see how the data came out, and with that, I think it really helped people understand what the purpose of of our Assessments really were.
2: Uh, definitely, you know, the, there was this uh, um, uh, kind of concern from the facilities initially, um, and and as Kate mentioned, we kind of uh, uh, very much clearly um, uh, told them that voluntary visits are voluntary visits. And as I as I mentioned earlier, you know, as the time grows, you know, the the second part of your question was how this have changed over the over the year. Is that you know so so eventually so 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 let let me give you another background that probably helps solve you know kind of uh, understand this uh, situation is that uh, um, you know this program was created uh, because uh, um, you know when we were talking about at that point of time, building an infection control assessment and promotion program, there are two pieces that we need, correct? We need an infrastructure um, uh, and, uh, um, you know, people to kind of do that, but then we need the expert uh, who can provide those kind of, uh, who can utilize the infrastructure to provide that recommendations uh, to the um, to the facilities. Now, at the state health department, you know, you're not going to see, find infection preventionists or infectious disease experts, um, you know, uh, uh, to to be able to, um, uh, infection control experts to be able to provide those recommendations to the facility. So I think that's why the state kind of uh, made the deal that we need the experts that are already available. And, you know, UNMC is known, um, the infectious disease division of the UNMC is well known for its antimicrobial stewardship work that, you know, Trevor does lead at, the, at Nebraska Medicine. And also, you know, um, uh, at the, um, for our biocontainment unit on the infection control work that we have done over the period of years. Um, uh, so, so because we have those expertise available, that partnership made sense. Um, uh, to that, you know, these these experts kind of pair up with the with the um, uh, health department to provide services to entire state, uh, and, and and the services can be not just remain localized to one city now, and it became available to everybody. So that's that's how it all kind of started. So when it start to work, uh, you know, from, um, uh, from 2015, 16, 17, when it start to work and start to look like, this is really giving the results that we wanted when facilities started to recognize the importance they start to reach out uh, to us for for their um, uh, you know uh, needs and we develop a lot of educational resources a lot of tools then it became like okay we can probably do more than that we can probably even help out uh, with uh, um, you know outbreak management uh, uh, in the state uh, doing some mentorship programs for the state uh, doing some educational program development for the state and all those kinds different kind of things. So then I think we got integrated into the state uh, um, healthcare-associated infections program infrastructure. And now it becomes two different components. One is a voluntary component, you know, where facilities where still ask us to come voluntary and do some voluntary, voluntary assessments. But if there is a state issue that the state health department is concerned about, like an outbreak that is going on, then it will be um, an assessment that uh, will be done on the direction of the state health department a- and at that point of time some of the data will be shared uh, with the state health department because uh, you know uh, they have a right to know that in the public health interest uh, but you know even then there is a delicate balance that we that we keep uh, in ensuring in that uh, information and and you know um, facilities understand that distinction now very well so um, you know it kind of uh, they figure it out. Now with the COVID-19 and all, all all the outbreaks with COVID-19, you know, they understand where the distinction is between the two.
0: Yeah, and I think just to put this into scope for everybody that's out there listening, um, I wanted to hit on I think what I would consider one of ICAP's biggest successes is our long-term care program. Um, we, I, I say we, I'm a dental specialist. There are other IPs on our team that are the long-term care specialists but we all really um, kind of generalize when we can to help each other out but our team has been in contact and supported every facility in the state every long-term care facility for the last two years during the pandemic do you want to talk a little bit about that program Dr. Ashraf and some of the successes that we've had
2: yeah, I can I, I can do that, and I can probably then you know pass it along to um, uh, Dr. Watkins here to kind of uh, um, talk about uh, a little bit of our COVID therapeutics arm uh, that we are also doing for the for the state long term care facilities. But you know, just to kind of give a plug that we talk about the long term care, but I, I do want to emphasize long term care is not the only part that that we have been. Even though we have assisted every single long-term care facility, um, you know, with uh, with COVID-19 outbreaks, we have also connected with every single acute care hospitals in the state too, uh, through our state, uh, you know, uh, through our uh, you know uh, acute care program that Dr. Stalin is actually uh, leading. Um, uh, for the COVID-19 um, uh, outbreaks at this point. So, so, so let's talk about the long-term care program. The reason that long-term care program is front and center um, and, and, and probably more well known is because uh, we made a decision very early um, in the pandemic when, when we actually um, uh, Started to uh, hear about uh, COVID cases uh, in in the in the country. You know, we actually have some of the first few cases coming to uh, Nebraska. You know, um, uh, the cruise ship. You know, the, the cruise. Uh, you know, um, uh, they 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 were here, and at that time we were starting to hear uh, you know outbreaks in Washington, um, uh, in the long-term care facilities. We really quickly understood that uh, um, that the need is going to be the most uh, in the long term care setting the need for the experts are going to be the most in the long term care setting because acute care hospitals uh, they will have uh, you know all the other uh, structure you know um, uh, from the state and from everyone else uh, um, that will come to them to, to try to support them but the long-term care facilities has will is going to lag behind in terms of getting to those expertise so and our team at that time was relatively smaller than what it is today so we needed to focus on on uh, what is what will be the most important need so we focused all our attention to the long-term care in the initial days of the pandemic um, and uh, at that time we decided that every single outbreak that is going to happen in the in Nebraska, we're going to reach out to the facility. We're going to provide the support, and we did provide the support. We did. We assigned an infection preventionist to each nursing home to mentor them throughout the outbreak, um, and then uh, you know um, uh, provide them whatever the assistance they need. Um, we set up calls with them, we even sent teams uh, uh, to their doorstep, if they were trying to set up, you know, um, uh, in partnership with some other partners, you know, definitely, um, uh, to, to their doorstep to set like covid units in their building and things to that effect and you know our response have have done well for us because in nebraska if you look at it in terms of covid 19 case rates in nebraska long term care facilities we are among the top 10 states in the country with the lowest case uh, case rates in the nebraska long term care facility readiness. we have the lowest mortal top 10 lowest mortality um, you know uh, rates uh, in the Nebraska long-term care facility residents, um, uh, so uh, I think our our um, uh, our decision was right. It contributed to overall I think lower mortality um, uh, rates that we see in Nebraska uh, in throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic. So uh, so but but as as we got more. Um, uh, funding and, you know, uh, more COVID uh, funding became available, we definitely expanded the program for acute care hospital, for dental, like you are doing right now, Sarah, you know, for, for school health now, um, and, uh, you know, even outpatient and dialysis centers. So all of those are covered. And then when the, when the COVID-9, when the COVID-19 therapeutics start to come out, the monoclonal antibody, we again thought that, you know, the long-term care facilities are going to lag behind in access to those therapeutics. These are the most vulnerable patients, but they're going to lag behind. So we then set up the program, uh, you know, which I think is a unique program in, this, uh, in the country. Uh, and. Uh, what I've heard um, uh, from other states, you know, we were well ahead of the game in terms of, uh, you know, providing those access to our long-term care facility residents, again, probably have contributed to the lower mortality rate that we have seen. And I'll let uh, uh, Dr. Watkins kind of speak to that, uh, um, uh, you know, how we set that program up and, uh, you know, uh, how we kind of evolved with the, with the pills now coming out, uh, you know, and all those things, so.
4: Yeah, yeah. Wait, with with being, at its core, an antimicrobial stewardship group, we we saw the opportunity, especially with ICAP having so many uh, connections, such a large reach with their weekly webinars with long-term care facilities that when we were approached by DHHS ASPR saying that they had doses that they could let us use specifically for long-term care positions, we thought we had a really good infrastructure in place. Uh, We had a dedicated pharmacist who could help run that, uh, and myself. And a really good core team to start implementing that. So we kind of went to the drawing boards, uh, put in a request process where facilities could directly go request therapy in a HIPAA compliant way, and this is for all facilities uh, across Nebraska. Um, they could go in, request that we, our team would actually look and assess and make sure the patients meet all of these laundry laundry list of criteria, um, just to make sure that the appropriate patients were getting this, uh, and then we would coordinate getting them that drug at the t- time, at the beginning in late 2020, it was monoclonal antibodies predominantly. Uh, and so, you know, with those being IV infusions, there were a lot of logistical barriers that we, we tackled at that point. We would work with the facilities to either send them the dose directly and they could give it themselves, uh, or we could work with local hospitals and have the patients go into a local hospital, um, or we could send even nursing strike teams, or, you know, we, we had mobile uh, infusion elements, even that, that if needed, that we could have to go to the patient to prevent that transfer and that transmission risk, even uh, if possible. And so, over the course of the pandemic, you know, as different agents became uh, inactive against certain variants, uh, you know, that, that information is constantly updating. So, keeping up on our website, keeping the materials, the resources. Uh, making order forms for these therapies, standing order templates so medical directors or the facilities can kind of have a standing order in place to to expedite the process of getting drug. Uh, And then now with the transition to oral therapies, you know, making sure that we have an adequate supply of these oral therapies can, can actually do the drug interaction checks and make sure that patients are getting the right dose for their renal function and you know that they meet these criteria still. Uh, and so at this point we've administered about 1400 doses since the beginning of the pandemic and so something we're pretty proud of and uh you know definitely a unique program.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. really a great opportunity for the facilities to be able to have access to that like you guys provided.
4: Yeah, and I want to I want to highlight that the success of that is dependent and driven in a large part by the association with ICAP that already had this massive platform with, you know, almost every facility or every facility in the state tuning into these weekly webinars. So, you know, when there was a change on a Friday afternoon, as it always happens, the next week we were on webinars, able to actually get on there, you know, share five, to 10 minutes updates. So everybody was always in the know if they were in, you know, or if they had any questions, they knew who to contact and how to get that information.
5: And Andrew, this is Kate, I'll pile on one more with that. I think largely our success had a lot to do with the way we were able to resort or utilize resources available at a public health infrastructure level, right? Like having the knowledge of how facilities could use those supplies and having the connections in place really allowed us to mobilize not just monoclonal antibody but also personal protective equipment distribution and whatnot. So we had, like, in people like Dr. Ashraf and Shelly Schwedhelm, we had these advocates at a state level saying, hey, we're really aware of these problems in these kind of rural or long-term care environments. What can we do for those people? And so having that spirit of advocacy and then being able to leverage those supplies and connections to get down to the facility level, that's where kind of the magic happened. It wasn't just with therapeutics, right? Like, there was a whole layer-by-layer approach. And I think from a recruiting angle, you know, like, We've shown the capacity that we can do that, and I think like our, our future could be limitless in the way we can continue to try to um, make interventions in these healthcare environments um, to really get them to a place of infection control
2: security. So, 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 Kate, thank thank you for bringing it up. Is you know, it's not only just the monoclonal antibodies, it's the is the PPE um, the resource, uh, you know, is the uh, testing uh, resources, and I'll add even one. You know, um, uh, is the guidance. All the infection prevention and control guidance, you know, that uh, that was coming out at the state, uh, you know, at the state level, um, you know, uh, beside from the CDC, you know, if, if you need to kind of clarify anything further, if you need to, um, you know, um, modify it to tweak into what fits in our state or something. That was going through the ICAP and ASAP infrastructure also, uh, so so our role was also in there, so I, I think by this time we kind of we can establish that you know ICAP and ASAP is just not um, just not um, the typical. Um, um, Infectious disease uh, um, uh, guidance. Uh, um, after talking to a you know a, a provider or a facility, and just provide them with some guidance. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's whole. It's integrated with the whole public infrastructure, where decisions are being made, logistics are being discussed. And you know um, uh, uh, plans are being implemented uh, we are involved in all of those stages uh, you know uh, as, as public health leaders uh, um, uh, in our in our state. You know so I, th- I think uh, um, that is that is what I wanted to kind of highlight here is is it started probably as just like infectious disease experts are going to provide expertise to the facilities. but eventually it became more of like you know a public health infrastructure combined with the infectious disease expertise
0: I also want to point out that the ICAP team has done a really great job of fostering a relationship with some of our licensure colleagues at the state. So not only are we looking at, you know, guidance from the CDC, but we also have some input from the licensure standpoint for our facilities as well. So it's really a, a holistic approach to everything that they might have going on in their facility, and we're here to help them with all of it.
1: Yeah, I think I another think, thing to mention too that hasn't been mentioned is the education component that ICAP has done throughout this whole thing as well. Uh, you know, nothing about COVID has stayed the same. I mean, it's been constant change the whole time and expecting facilities that are busy and overwhelmed and short staffed to stay up on that has been a major struggle. And so uh, ICAP team involved with Nebraska Medicine, UNMC and state public health and everything we've constantly worked to uh, keep people updated with the latest things and ha- had, I don't know, numerous webinars and numerous educational programs that every one of us have been a part of um, and they're still going and, you know, and, and they'll go, you know, they were non-COVID before COVID and they'll continue on as non-COVID after COVID if we ever get to that point. But I think that that's an important part to, to talk about as well.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, for one, am really um, kind of integrated into the whole education side of what ICAP does. And we do offer those webinars, like for long-term care, we have a weekly webinar and, you know, we fill it with COVID updates and answer, have live Q and A for those facilities that need their questions answered. Um, we do one also for acute and outpatient facilities every other week, you know, the same type of thing, COVID updates in your facilities, um, we've also had the ability to look at some more non-traditional forms of education. So um, I was able, in addition to this podcast that we're on right now, which is kind of a non-traditional form of education, um, we were able to start a dental podcast that is specific to dental infection prevention and never in any of my years as a dental professional, did I ever think that I would be hosting an infection control podcast. But we tried the webinar thing and it just didn't work. We weren't getting buy-in from the dental partners. So um, it seems that having the ability to kind of think outside the box and use some innovation for all of these different projects that we have is a really great way to help foster those uh, relationships.
2: Well, uh, uh, Sarah, I, w- I will say that you, you kind of hit on a very important point here. It's the outside of the box thinking, right? Uh, that is what ICAP motto have been, you know, from the beginning. That's how we have continued to grow. Is that you know we welcome the the new ideas and we we are not shy in trying out those new new ideas. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Your webinar for dental facility didn't work because probably the timing issue and how the dental practices are set up, you know, um, it, it didn't work out for them. So we, we went we went we tried that didn't work out. Try something else, and and that is how we have been able to continue to do that. So you know and and that that is our structure is in such a way that we are able. To bring these innovative ideas, and then I- able to kind of uh, um, execute it, um, and and most often than not, uh, we are successful in in driving that uh, um, uh, to success. <laughs> in, in other words, so yeah, no, I agree completely. Completely agree.
1: So let's talk a minute about where we're at now. So. Kate was saying, if she's able to talk, that you know, at the way back at the beginning, it was her and Margaret. Um, where are we at with infection preventionists now and how many of them are uh, you know, part of ICAP?
5: So Dr. Starlin, I think we're up to nine uh, infection preventionists full-time. Um, and that, like that, Sarah kind of floats between like different tasks as an infection preventionist, also as an educator. We also have database analysts. You know All the work we're doing, you know, like when we talk about changing our methods, we track what we're doing. We look at our, our data and you know, the returns on what's happening. Are we getting the, the expected outcome? If we're not, how do we change it? How do we tweak it to really maximize our effect? And so we have a team of administrative professionals, a team of database analysts, um, as well as our friends and colleagues at the health department level that, um, you know, help with pulling that information down at a state level from, you know, public information on um, isolates and things like that. So we really have the full picture. So it's really, really neat sized, uh, successful team.
2: You know, and associate medical directors, you know, at least five of them, if I'm not wrong in my count. (laughs) So I I think that's an an important
5: point, Dr. Ashraf, like all along, what has made one of part of our success is that all the medical directors are active clinicians, right? Like one step in active practice, one step in kind of this public health you know, policy world. So it makes it so that the interventions that we're working on are very practical, very much real world, very much cutting edge. And I think that I will hope that that would be attractive to a physician that we want to bring to the position is that you get to keep your clinical practice but also get to revel in this world of you know um, policy promotion and trying to fix some of these big problems.
1: And now we have a whole organizational chart that uh, if I remember it appropriately, Andrew is now kind of over a group in the ASAP group. So we have more pharmacists now than what we've had before that help with the program, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, we're funded with a full uh, pharmacist myself for ASAP. And then also have uh, you know part of FTE of two other uh, pharmacists who specifically can help and and provide some support there as well.
0: I also want to mention database analysts
4: and other members of the team as well.
0: So I also want to mention you know, we have this this huge team of very talented colleagues and um, we all kind of have our specialties, but we're all also kind of generalists. So, you know, I grew up in a dental practice, but I have been pulled in to help in long term care or acute and outpatient or dialysis or wherever I need to be. So, there's really an opportunity for anyone on our team to be involved in really anything they're interested in and kind of as Kate said, like float between duties, help each other out. Um, it's just really, uh, honestly, one of the best teams I've ever worked on.
1: So, um, where, where is this going? Where do you guys see ICAP going? ASAP going, uh, uh, as we go forward, obviously, COVID has been dominant for the last couple of years and, and uh, the reach and the assistance to citizens of Nebraska, I, I don't think anybody will ever, unless they've been involved, will ever completely understand how many people you guys have touched, but where do we go?
2: Whatever you want to take this on first, um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. we want to take the ASAP on? Yeah,
3: yeah, I would love to talk about that. I I agree with you. I think COVID has dominated because it should have dominated, right? We focused our efforts on that, Um, but you know, there there's been a downside to that that we've seen is we've really lost focus on antimicrobial stewardship. I think in some areas maybe we've improved a bit. We've realized that we don't have to give antibiotics to viral infections all the time. Uh, so there's been, I think some incremental improvement in that, but I would say a lot of facilities have really just redirected their resources away from antimicrobial stewardship uh, into infection control because they had to. And so I think where are we going? Um, I see anim- we really see this as a refocusing on antimicrobial stewardship. And I think the CDC would say the same thing, and we would say the same thing is, you know, as COVID uh, doesn't go away but becomes less of the burning fire that it was, Um, we really need to go back to the things that uh, haven't gone away. Antimicrobial resistant pathogens, they're still there and they're worse than they were. And so we really do need to focus on the antimicrobial use uh, aspect of preventing antimicrobial resistance because COVID may come and go, but antibiotic resistance, that trend has been going the wrong way for the last 80 years and it hasn't changed. And so I think there's really a refocusing uh, and that's where I'm excited about Andrew's role expanding and him having more time uh, to do antimicrobial stewardship for the state uh, and really in particularly in long-term care facilities and smaller hospitals, uh, really just re-energizing that effort.
5: Kate? So I think uh, Dr. Van Schoenenfeld, you're hitting on a really important point is these problems haven't gone away, they've gotten worse and so Things that we see encroaching um, in Nebraska that lots of other states have already seen—you know, drug-resistant um, uh, funguses like Candida auris. Um, we know we've had CRE instances in Nebraska and helped with those outbreaks. It's really important that our team has become integrated in the public health infrastructure so that we can really lean in and help facilities, even with complex facilities with, you know, burn patients or endoscopes and things like that. Uh, a health healthcare required infection programs has to have that level of expertise. And so I only see our um, instances of being called in to help with those types of problems increasing um, and we'll need to be ready to continue to do that.
2: Um. You know, I I, I will say another important point uh, uh, is that uh, when we are making those decisions about future, you know, um, uh, it is also based on the CDC focus, um, uh, you know, because the grant that that we're working on um, is coming through the state health department, but it's actually CDC grant. Um, uh, CDC kind of uh, put down some overarching principles on how they want the money to be used. And then, you know, we have a little bit of a flexibility in that to discuss with the CDC, you know, and how we want to kind of uh, entail or or, um, um, formulate a program that will uh, be able to give us the result that the CDC uh, is looking into. So they don't dictate how we, Implement things, how we develop our programs. They do provide, you know, um, guidance. And another thing, you know, uh, in my role as a ICAP Medical Director, in the last five years before my current role, um, I have been uh, able to work with the um, with some of the CDC colleagues. You know, um, we have had, as ICAP Medical Director, multiple kind of meetings in some of those strategy. Uh, um, uh, settings and Trevor have that too, and can can kind of uh, talk about. Sometimes they do help us, uh, even um, you know, um, uh, shape our programs. Uh, you know, based on if they if they feel wherever they can provide some input, they do they do end up uh, provide that input. And we take their input also. So good collaboration opportunities, uh, you know, come along here also with the CDC um, uh, in 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 our in our roles. So. so um, I I think that's an exciting part also is that we are able to um, be able to design our programs uh, um, uh, on our own, like what we are trying to do, although we still have to follow the cdc guidance and and i think the cdc focus have been very clear um, you know uh, stewardship is one of the um, one of the things that they want to go forward with they also want us to focus on f- uh, education for f- infection control for frontline healthcare workers uh, so that has been a major focus uh, from the cdc to uh, spread the infection prevention control ed- uh, education to all all healthcare workers, not just infection is to all healthcare workers. And, and we have started taking steps in that direction. We have developed some exciting programs, uh, uh, in-person, you know, um, uh, uh, Zoom-based or, you know, social media-based. We've already kind of working towards that. And, you know, uh, 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 Sarah is uh, involved in those uh, activities also. So that's another area where we are, uh, where we are moving. There is a lot um, on the NHSN part, uh, um, that uh, they want us to focus on helping facilities uh, uh, start to report through NHSN, um, you know, and 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 we have some uh, uh, some ideas on that that we are going to be um, uh, kind of implementing outpatient anti- antimicrobial stewardship is another area where they want to focus a little bit more on and be kind of focusing on that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, Dr. Watkins, you want to kind of uh, touch on the, um, you know, uh, some of the efforts that you are planning even for outpatient stewardship.
4: Yeah, yeah outpatient would be, great. you know, I think we're in the stage now where we need to get good data on which to base our decisions. And so the biggest goal right now is to find a good data source where we can have some visibility into some accurate outpatient antibiotic prescribing. And then once we have the data and can actually look and analyze that, decide where best to focus our efforts. Uh, So that's a big push in the outpatient setting, Uh, you know, in the acute care and long-term care settings, continuing to do assessments of individual facilities and trying to help them and, you know, promote the reporting NHSN, as you mentioned. Uh, And so again, the importance of having that data from acute care facilities. And then long-term care also trying to build some dashboards and some databases where we can submit data uh, and also get you know, better visibility in antibiotic use. We'd also love to work with long-term care pharmacies and you know, make some type of consortium where we're able to touch more facilities So train these consultant pharmacies that, have pharmacists touching these facilities much more often than we realistically could uh, with our manpower and train them to implement stewardship at their facilities. We've done similar things in the past with good results, but you're know, trying to get the other portion of facilities who maybe weren't touched with that first initiative.
1: I want to do a little bit Chamber of Commerce type stuff here now for Omaha and Nebraska. So I know that Sarah and Kate are locals, but uh, Dr. Ashraf, Dr. Watkins, and Dr. Van weren't born and raised here, but they've chosen to move here, live here, and in many cases raise their families here. So how about a little plug for what it's like in... uh, nebraska and omaha we we joke about the weather all the time because that's what midwesterners do is we talk about the weather but at the end of the day it's a pretty good place to be right
2: i completely agree um that i you know i I move here from um greenville north carolina um you know so um uh, i was also concerned about the weather to be honest uh, you know i i it, it, it is not a concern for me anymore. um the, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think we talk about it a lot. So it kind of start to uh, get into our minds, but <laughs> it is, it is, I have lived in many different states uh, um, the, before settling here in Nebraska, but I can tell you that uh, um, the weather is 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 not a concern, has never been a problem for me at all. Uh, and, and for my family, um, um, uh, me and my wife both, both love it here. Um, the, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the city, um, I will say that uh, this is the kind of city I wa- always want to live in, because uh, um, you know you can get everything that. You know, kind of everything that you would like in a uh, in a big city to have, uh, but then you, you will not get the congestion of the big city um, uh, that uh, um, uh, that you will see in some other cities. You will not have to drive an hour to get somewhere and stuck in traffic forever. You know, so, uh, so but you can get all the city kind of things uh, right here. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, I I, I love it.
3: Yeah, I would second uh, what uh, Dr. Ashraf has said. I moved here from uh, Colorado, where we have 300 days of sun, and well, there aren't there aren't 300 days of sun here. But uh, I do really like living here, and have lived here for uh, over 20 years. So, and when we moved here, we thought we'd come and get out of here because you know, in Colorado, we tend to just make fun of Nebraska. That's what people <laughs> yeah. in Colorado do. Uh, but actually, really liked living here for exactly the reasons uh, that Dr. Ashraf talked about. Um, very affordable, uh, all the big city things to do without sort of all, a lot of the headaches of the big city. So I really just love living here.
4: Yeah. And I came from the other direction. So, uh, from the South in Mississippi, uh, and we'll say, I enjoy personally having four seasons and that's very nice than just hot. And then two weeks of cold down there. So I enjoy having all the seasons, my wife and, you know, we've started a family here and just really enjoy it. Definitely agree with the, um, the sprawling aspect of Omaha. It's so, Uh, Spread out that it does not feel congested, which we like. Uh, And another thing that's really struck me is just how nice the people are. You know, when I was here for interview stuff, it was everybody said Nebraska nice, and I was like, yeah, you know, we're we're used to southern hospitality. We'll see, but everybody truly has been really great, and you know, I haven't run across too many uh, too many not nice people yet.
1: And I will say the schools are are a plus for the most part. I mean, there's great school systems. uh, Things are affordable um trying to make some progress uh on uh, things like uh, public transportation Uh, there's talk on that and uh, you know improvements at the airport but i think everything it's great i as everybody knows i wasn't born here but uh but i'm back and i'm not going anywhere either so uh thanks thanks for that so last question that i have sarah may have a question i don't know but um last question i have is uh What uh, you know, somebody's ideal candidate or traits? Are you kind of thinking would be great for this position um, to take over and and direct ICAP to the future that you guys talked about uh, a few minutes ago?
2: So I can go first, and then I'll uh, let uh, um, you know. Rest of the team kind of chime in. Um, I I think uh, um, what we what we would like um, uh, the In terms of the trait, is somebody who is passionate about uh, infectious uh, um, uh, infectious disease, infection control, antimicrobial stewardship uh, work, um, and want to um, want. Is ready to lead, uh, you know, at a statewide level. Um, uh, you know, come up with ideas and have that, uh, um, you know, focus on uh, on transformational change. Basically, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, changing practice uh, um, uh, of 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 a. Of a large uh, state, <laughs> um, so 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 that passion. I think the passion is the word that I will describe is is passion to make the public health uh, effort uh, um, uh, um, incorporating uh, all the all the expertise that they have in in into making big changes and uh, you know improving the infection control structure and stewardship structure in in the state. So that is that is the biggest thing um, it is it is a team uh, that is very very close um, all all of our um, uh, team members are w- work very close together we are like a family here um uh, and uh, um, somebody who can who can you know uh, who can um a good team player can take everybody and lead them into into um, uh, into success is is what i'm looking at so leadership quality passionate um, um the good good team players, you know, those are the type of things that I'm looking at.
5: Yeah, and I would um, just gravy train on what you said, Dr. Ashraf. I think um, the, the number one thing that I wanted to have when I came to ICAP was to keep kind of the collaboratory relationship that we had in our department at Nebraska Medicine, you know, where we work really closely with medical directors. There's a lot of communication, a lot of group think. And so I think our, our team is incredibly collaborative, and we really want to have somebody come who wants to be part of that kind of group think.
2: I think Trevor and Kate are, are, are the, you know, um, are the team members who interviewed me uh, when I was, when I was coming to this role. So, so, you know, uh, I hope, I hope I fit into that role well. And, uh, you know, uh, um, so, so I don't know what you were looking at that at that time. uh,
5: Yeah, I kind of weighed my option. Can we have another Dr. Ashraf just come work here? But I didn't think that that would be like very helpful to a recruit.
3: Yes, hard to find. Hard to find. I think one other thing I would add to that, and I totally agree with everything you guys said, is um, just an ability to work with diverse groups of people and diverse levels of expertise, because uh, that's one thing with ICAP and ASAP is we work with know, people who really have never done infection control or stewardship and are just trying to figure it out. And so whoever's going to do that is going to have to have some patience, some understanding, some ability to work with that, and yet be able to help facilities that are already doing a great job. How do we take it to the next level? And so I think there's a, uh, I think teamwork, but there's also an ability to work with really diverse populations from large big city hospitals down to small facilities that serve, you know, really small communities. And then Uh, You know, as someone who seeks to understand, because I think that's the other great thing about ICAP is uh, the people who work here seek to understand the world that those people are working in and that you can't propose solutions that aren't going to work in the environment they're in. And so you have to be able to work through those uh, with those resources and in those situations. So some flexibility is also something you have to have.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Trevor, because I I was going to ask that question, you know, I, you know, I trained, I did my med school at UNMC, and then I trained in St. Louis at a, you know, a thousand bed hospital, and then you come back and you, you know, you work in a city, and now I'm trying to relate and give advice to a critical access hospital that has like 10 beds, one hospital, two nurses, one pharmacist. And it's like, how do I wrap my brain around that? And I think it's a, it's a completely different setting than what most of us are used to. Sorry, Andrew, I didn't mean to cut you off.
4: No, you're perfectly fine. I was going to say, uh, Dr. Van, that, that was right in line with what I was thinking, innovative thinking, you know, being able to plan forward and come with some of that out of the box thinking and flexibility to make your thoughts work and to work with interface with different facilities. You can have the best plan in the world, but you know, if it doesn't work at a particular facility or on a particular level, it's not doing you much good. So being able to be flexible and work with people where they're at is really important.
0: Yeah. And I'll just add on that, that flexibility comment. We have an insanely talented team and we have, you know, we've been able to make decisions on the fly and change a whole PowerPoint for a webinar that we're giving in an hour just because CDC has dropped new recommendations or you know, some big change has been made and we wanna make sure we get our, our viewers the most up-to-date information. So you know, just having that flexibility to work on the fly with the team I think is going to be really important as well. And I, I think the whole team is prepared to be able to do that in most situations.
2: Now, you know, I, I will clarify one thing, though, um, you know, um, we don't need someone to have experience in all these different kinds of settings, definitely not, because we already have people that have experience in all these different kinds of settings. I think, um, you know, what, what we are more referring to is, is to have that flexibility to um, you know kind of uh, and, and and that innovative thinking to to apply some of the experience that they already have in different settings uh, uh, to modify it for the setting that we are working for and and you know we will have people definitely here who can who can provide the input on how a certain recommendation can can uh, you know um, uh, can be um, either great for a, for a um, uh, kind of facility or maybe it can become, pose a challenge for that kind of facility. And, and, you know, so to, so, so we don't need the experience in the part, all these kinds of setting, what we need um, is the adaptability or flexibility.
0: So for all of our listeners out there, if you've made it this far in the podcast, I am going to uh, drop the job posting in the show notes for everybody. So if you are interested or, you know, somebody that might be interested in, Looking at joining our team um, feel free to share that link with them and um, I think this has been a really fun episode kind of exploring what ICAP and ASAP are doing and where we've come from
1: yeah I've learned a lot I hope everybody else has as well I appreciate all four of you taking time
2: out of your day to join us you know another good thing about the medical director for ICAP you know kind of become responsible for the dirty drink podcast whatever they are doing correct <laughs> it's like a- <laughs> I mean,
1: I know even a a year or two ago, I didn't think I'd be standing here doing a podcast with anybody. I didn't even, I mean, didn't even know what a podcast really was. So here, here we are. So
0: this is a really good example of like that, you know, we take an idea and run with it. Just one day during a meeting, Dr. Starlin said, Hey, I really have been thinking about trying to like talk to people about different things. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And in two weeks, we had a podcast. So, you know, We really are are open to trying a lot of different different things on the team
2: anyone can reach out to any of us if they have questions Uh, you know um, 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 we will be happy to answer any questions Uh, if if someone is thinking about uh, applying for the medical director role for the nebraska icap uh, we'll be willing to answer any question
0: absolutely Um, our website is in the show notes already for every episode So um, if you would like to um, check out our website, we have all of our different initiatives on there. Um, If you can't find contact information anywhere else for us, feel free to message us on Twitter. Um, I watch that inbox so I can get you hooked up with anybody that you would need to talk to. Um, And we really appreciate all of our listeners out there and everyone on the panel today.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. We'll talk to you next time, everyone. Thanks, sir.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at Dirty Underscore Drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of Dirty Drinks.